Coming up the, the second Sunday in January, we are, we are going into a three-week series of what we call the season of sacrifice. We do this every year during the month of January. I don't know, probably been doing this for 10 years or so. But as we begin the first of the year, it is a time of seeking the Lord, of humbling our hearts before God and asking God, Lord, what do you, how would you have me to grow? What would you have me to do? There are things that you have need of in your life, in your home, uh, some way or another. And while fasting does not move God, I believe it moves us. Fasting is something that God encourages us to do. Um, there are a number of things that God wants us to do, but they're not a commandment. I've heard people say, well, I don't believe in tithing because uh, it's an Old Testament principle. I'm just using this as an example. They say it's in the Old Testament. Well, what, they don't, what you don't understand, if that's your belief, is, is that stewardship is a biblical principle and tithing is never a commandment. God just simply says, if you want me to bless you, give your first 10% and watch what I'll do in your life. Fasting is the same way. The Bible never says, thou shalt fast. It never, God never commands us to go on any kind of fast. But he encourages, encourages us and says, in effect, see what I'll do. If, if, you will, if you will take time to sacrifice before me, you have no idea what I will do, what I will accomplish in your life and in the lives of your loved ones. And so we encourage you to join with us. Uh, we do, or I do, uh, a Daniel fast with uh, intermittent total fasting throughout the thing. Um, but different people fast in different ways. And God may call you to do it a different way. We don't try to get you to do one thing. But what we do want you to do, we ask you to do, is enter the new year with an idea, with an attitude. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw close to you. I'm going to come away from this Christmas season where we have celebrated the birth of our Lord and Savior and, and we're going into the new year seeking and fasting and, and looking for something new. We, we will be introducing our theme for the month of January on the first Sunday. I'll, I'll give you a, a little bit of a hint if you, if you would like, if you want to uh, look up a scripture in second. Uh, Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 you'll find a little bit of what we're looking at for the coming year but we're going to be looking to God to do something great and powerful and fantastic so I hope you will I hope you will begin to prepare to join us I tell you about this now so that you can go ahead and begin to get it in mind and we'll start Sunday January the 9th if you want to do a different time frame uh, you just help yourself, but uh, tell you what we're doing up here. And so anyways, looking forward to it. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Psalm chapter 4. I encourage you to bring a Bible. We don't put them in the pews anymore. Um, but So bring, bring the Word of God. Maybe you have it on your phone. Years ago, a num number of years ago, but since smartphones have been out, uh, I heard an older preacher complaining about telephones. And he said, I don't like these new phone devices he said half the people in the congregation are looking on their phone while I'm trying to preach to them and and I wasn't actually having that conversation but I was listening but another minister said to him sir with all due respect they're following you most likely following you on the bible that's in their phone well he said well I still don't like that that people ought to bring it bring a bible well 
I want you to know, however you have the Word of God, this preacher is totally happy and fine with it. I do a lot of Bible reading on my phone, so I get it. As a matter of fact, I'm going to read the Scripture from my phone today. I have my Bible open just in case I decide to switch over to it. But the Scripture I'm reading right now, I'm reading from my phone. Everybody loves me in Jesus. Say amen. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Psalm chapter 4. The title of the Scripture probably in your Bible too, is entitled The Safety of the Faithful. And then it says to the chief musician with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. If you know anything about King David, uh, he was, as much as anything else, he was a warrior. And he was quite a controversial figure in, in his day and time. Many people loved King David. And I believe as he got older and toward the end of his life, people began to love and appreciate what he had done for the kingdom of Israel, for the north and south, southern parts of the kingdom to unite them and bring all of the people of Israel, God's people, under one banner, under one flag, if you will. But still, throughout his life, David had quite a bit of controversy. And on at least one, probably several occasions, I can think of two right now, there were others who were seeking after his life to kill him. So he knew what it was to, to have difficulty and adversity in his life. And so David starts out in, in this short chapter in Psalm, and he says, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long, O you sons of men, Will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? But know that the Lord, he has set apart for himself him who is godly. Read that verse one more time. But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You have put gladness in my heart more than the season that their grain and wine increased. I will both lie down in peace and sleep for you alone, O Lord, Make me dwell in safety. Throughout this passage of Scripture, there is a wonderful formula for being able to sleep peacefully at night. Let's pray. Dear precious Heavenly Father, with grateful hearts, once again we bow before you. We thank you for your great love and mercy. And Lord, we thank you for your blessings in this service. We ask you to minister right now. Help us, God, that we will draw near to you, that we will know the peace of God that passes all understanding. Now, Lord, we ask you for your holy anointing just now. In Jesus' name, amen. And so I want to talk about the story behind the song, uh, Silent Night. It turns out that in the early 1800s, 1816 to be precise, a young priest in Austria by the name of Joseph Moore penned the words to these songs. I will tell you that the origin of this song was not known uh, precisely 
until the year 1994, according to what I've been able to read. There were others who it thought might have written the song, uh, but eventually a, an original manuscript uh, in his handwriting of the song, dated, became available, uh, uh, discovered in archives somewhere, somewhere else. And so anyways, he wrote the song in 1816. He wrote it on the, on the heels of the Napoleonic Wars, when Napoleon had led in, 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 the, in the wars over in Europe, and much of, much of Europe had suffered for a long time uh, in battle. Their area was, had come to a time of peace, and it was a dark, cold winter night. The ground was covered with snow when the young priest, Joseph Moore, went out for a late night walk. As he was walking, he was struck by the peace that he could hear. When I read this story, I thought about our hurricane just a few years ago. Um, it seemed that our town, our community grew quiet and dark. And, and I don't mean to um, insult anyone with what I'm about to say, but during the, the, the time that we were without power and at night, we could hear the, the generators running throughout our community. There was something peaceful about that to me, maybe not to you, I don't know. We didn't suffer great damage, many of you did, so I don't mean to insult anyone. But as in, in reading Joseph Moore's story, I, I thought back to that. And so Joseph Moore, after he had taken this walk, he went back to the place where he stayed and he sat down and he penned the words to Silent Night. It wasn't until two years later that the hymn was first sang and it was at a New Year's Eve service and the man who wrote the, the tune for the song, Franz Gruber, uh, led, the, led the choir and Joseph Moore played the guitar as they sang this song. It was sometime later that a traveling organ repairman came into town working on their church organ and he heard them singing this song and he requested a copy of the song and he took it back to his village and from there the song began to spread in popularity. In 1839, a, a group of traveling singers from Europe known as the Rayner family first led the song at Trinity Church in New York City. And from there, the song has evolved and has been translated into over 300 languages. Another interesting note about the song, it's reported that in 1914, during the, uh, the First Great War, the First World War, that on that Christmas Eve, a truce was, was called and there was no fighting and it's reported that uh, across the countryside the song could be heard sang, being sang uh, simultaneously in German, in French and in English. I just thought that was an interesting note. And so the song says, encourages us, closes the first line, the first uh, stanza with the words sleep in heavenly peace. As I was beginning to pray back in the fall, early fall, and looking at what we could preach uh, for the Christmas season, Pam and I were walking around in Hobby Lobby. Been to Hobby Lobby, say man. Pam's favorite store. And I was following her around, and there was a large sign that was hanging uh, over in the Christmas section, a beautiful sign, and it said, Sleep in heavenly peace. And she stopped and we looked at the sign and she said, that would be a great title for a sermon. And immediately I said, you know what? 
We're going to do lines from Christmas hymns for our messages during the month of December, and that's what we've done. But this is where it began for us this year. And so I began studying and looking into the topic of sleep and heavenly peace. The Bible tells us, The Bible tells us in the book of Psalm, chapter 4 and verse 8, the scriptures we read a little while ago. David said, I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. He has talked about how people are against him. He has talked about in this chapter how his life has been in danger and how people have things to say against him. And he has made mistakes and things have not always gone the way that he wants them to. But he closes out this portion of scripture by saying, I can lay down at night and sleep. And I can sleep in peace for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. I want to ask today, how can I sleep tonight in peace? I wonder if you will ask yourself the question tonight, how can I go home? And lay my head down and go to sleep in peace. Regardless of of what I see or experience in my life. No matter what is going on. How can I lay down and sleep? I remind you of the story in the Bible. The true story. When Jesus and his disciples were out on the water. And it was nighttime, And a storm arose. And it looked like the little boat was going to sink. And the disciples became greatly afraid and they began to call out and they realized Jesus is in the back of the boat, probably on a bench, asleep back there. And they wake him up and they say, how can you sleep at a time like this? And Jesus says to them, oh you of little faith. You see, Jesus was in the boat with them. And I don't know, maybe they had not come to realize that the Savior, the creator of the world, the, the all-powerful God of the universe, the one who is there, there is none other like him because he alone is the creator, was in the boat with them. Well, I want to tell you, God's in the boat with you. And so I begin, if you're looking at your notes, how can I sleep tonight? Because God is sovereign. God is sovereign. This, this term sovereign, sovereign means that God is preeminent in power and authority. There is none other like him. There's not another being in this world, in this universe, that can compare to him. Because listen to me, everything in this world is created. You are created. The dust that you are made out of is created. When God created the first man, he reached down into the dirt and dug out a pile of clay and he shaped it with his very own hand, made it into the form of man, and then he blew into the nostrils of that image, of that statue, and it came to life. And from that life comes every living human being. I know there's lots of information out there, and you've been to high school, many of you have been to college, and you hear all kinds of things about how this world came to be, How and, and they like to talk about how there was a big bang and how things all of a sudden exploded and then in the primordial ooze in the depths of some water somewhere things came together just right and life two little cells started living and then they produced and reproduced and what have you listen God bless you if you have faith to believe all that because no matter what you believe in this world it requires faith 
I have yet to talk to anyone, and I've talked to people before, that do not believe like I believe. And my statement to them is always, well, you have more faith than I have. Because no matter what you believe about where this world came from, it takes faith to believe it. And then there are some people who say, well, you know what, I'm just not going to bother with all of it because no one knows and I cannot figure it out and it's too, it's too much uh, for anyone to know. No one knows where the world came from, so I'm not going to worry about it. Well, friend, that takes more faith than anyone else because what you're saying is that it really doesn't matter where it came from. I'm just going to go on living my life and not worry about it. Listen, the end of your life is coming. The end of your life is on the way. And you're going to stand before God one day. It, you don't, it's something you don't get a pass on. It's something that no one in this life gets to say, Well, God, I never knew. I couldn't figure it out, so I just put it on the back shelf and didn't worry about it. I'm here to tell you today that God will hold you accountable one day. So you're here today to tell you that for me to tell you there is a God in heaven. He loves you and He cares about you. He wants to save your soul. And God is sovereign. That means he's preeminent in power and authority. His sovereignty is a natural consequence of three things. His omniscience, his omnipotence, and his omnipresence. His omniscience means that he knows everything. There is nothing that God does not know. He, he, is, he is sovereign over everything and he knows everything. He knows your thoughts. He knows your hopes, your ambitions, your fears, your failures. He knows it all. He knows tomorrow just as well as he knows yesterday. He knows the eternity future just as well as he knows the eternity past. Why? Because he's God and there's none other like him. Everything in this world must have a cause. Nothing just happens. Everything must be caused. Everything that exists had to have a cause. God is the causer. He is the original. He is the only. He is the creator. Isaiah chapter 49 verses, chapter 46 verses 9 through 10 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and the ancient times things, and from the ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. The second word is omnipotent. It comes from the word omni, meaning all, and potent, meaning power. God is all-powerful. He has all power over all things at all times in all ways. Job understood this, and he said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. The third word is omnipresent. We're talking about how God is sovereign, how that he is preeminent and power and authority. And our word is omnipresent, and it means that he is everywhere at all times. Psalm 46 and verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. When I was a college student, I went to a secular university studying something else for three years, and, and God was dealing with me about going into the ministry and, and I just wasn't sure I put it off. Finally, I surrendered my life to God's call on my life for the ministry. I had grown up in church, probably the first place that mama and daddy took me after I came home from being born at the hospital was they took me to church. And we went to church every time the doors were open. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think they opened the doors so that other people could get in. Daddy wasn't a preacher, but we were there all the time. 
Grew up in Sunday school, grew up in children's programs. I heard the gospel. I walked the aisle and I accepted the boy. I accepted the Savior as a little boy over at Callaway Assembly of God Church, and um, it was a little white block building back then, a little a little uh, mason masonry building, and um, and I got saved there. And I never turned my back. I never said, God, I've changed my mind. I never rebelled against God. I never said, I don't think so anymore. I went all through, I went all through elementary school, all through high school, three years of college trying to follow God and understand if he was calling me to the ministry. Finally, there came a day where I said, God, I, I guess you're calling me the ministry because I cannot get away from this. And not that I'm trying to. I just want to know for sure if this is you telling me this. But I just decided one day because it was, it was just in my spirit all the time. Yes, Lord, you're calling me to the ministry. And so I was at Southeastern University down in Lakeland, Florida, sitting in a theology class one day, taking notes, listening to the professor talk about some in-depth theological discussion, and the thought came to my mind, do I believe all of this? It kind of shocked me. I had never questioned what I believed, not once in my life. I had never questioned what my parents raised me to believe. And here I was sitting in a Bible college studying to be a pastor in an Assembly of God church one day, and the question came into my mind, do I believe this? It, it troubled me. It shattered me. It shook me. I was, I was, I was dumbfounded. I didn't know what to think. Eventually we got out of class, I went back to my room and I was, I was shaken. And I, and I started praying and I said, God, I don't know what to do about this. I didn't tell anyone. I didn't dare tell any of the professors because I don't know, they, maybe they would kick me out. I didn't tell any of the guys I was going to school with, maybe they would shun me. I didn't think anyone would understand my questions. And so the only thing I knew to do is after my busy day of going to classes and then I had a part-time job, is I would come back to my dorm room, I would get my Bible, and I would go over to the chapel. They kept it dimly lit every night and open for people to come in and pray. And I would open my Bible and I would sit there and I would cry out to God, trying not to say anything out loud, lest anyone thought I was a heretic in the place. But I was saying, God, I don't understand this. Are you even real? I don't know if you are real, and, and, and if I'm going to preach your word, I need to know that you are there, that you are real, that there is a God. And this went on for a couple of weeks, every evening. Finally, one night I was praying, and the thought came to me, who are you talking to? And I said, well, I'm talking to God. <laughs> and I began to laugh. I'm praying to a God and asking him if he is real. And he just helped me to understand, yes, he's real. I can't give you any deep theological explanation for how my heart and mind turn right there. But all of a sudden, I began to ask myself, if there is not a God, then what? If there is not a God, what is there? And it began to make sense to me that there's no way that there is not a God. There has to be a God. And I rejoiced and I said, Lord, thank you. This is wonderful. I am convinced that you are real. I've been talking to you for the last couple of weeks, asking you to help me know if you're real. And now all of a sudden, from the depths of my spirit, I know that you're real. I was 21 years old at the time, and I mean, I was having trouble with this. And then I began to say, God, okay, I, I know you're real, but what about all the rest of it? 
What about the Bible? What about all the theology? And I don't have time to tell it to you tonight, but I had to work through, plow through every bit of that, praying and seeking God and reading the Scripture as God began to open and reveal the deep truths of the Scripture that I had been raised and taught in Sunday school all of my life, that my mama had read Bible stories to me about uh, almost every evening at our home as we were growing up. I began to understand that the truths that I have been taught... Not because someone told it to me, but because I had an experience with God and He revealed it to me Himself. And I'm here to tell you today that I can lay down tonight and go to sleep in peace because God is sovereign. Because He is all-powerful. I know in my heart that there is a God. I know in the depths of my spirit that He loves me, that He cares for me. Point number two, because God cares for you. 1 Peter 5 and verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. These may just be words on a page. Friend, I'm here to tell you when you get to know Jesus Christ, when you accept him as your Savior and you begin to pursue a relationship with him, it, it becomes obvious to you that there is a God in heaven and he cares for you so much that he gave his only son for you. Each season of your walk with God has its share of tears. I'm not going to stand up here today and tell you that when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, there will be no more tears. I will tell you that there is coming a day when you stand with Him in eternity that God Himself will wipe every tear from your eyes. There will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death, no more tragedy. All of the heartaches in this life that you have endured, He will make it worth it all at that time. I am sure, I am convinced that most people will never understand the depths of your pain. And I encourage you, don't be a loner, don't isolate yourself Talk to people, talk to your preacher, talk to a counselor if you need to. But only God can ever fully understand because God created you. He's with you. And even more, He is fighting for you. He cares for you. There will never be a moment when He stops watching over you. He's always taking care of you. His hand is always on you. And He never, ever takes a break. The Bible says that He does not sleep and He does not slumber. God is on duty 24-7, 365, and on leap year also, God is watching over you. God is your Father. And He is your full-time defender. Jesus Christ, your Savior, is your advocate before the Father because the Bible tells us that the devil is our accuser. Whenever we begin to get our lives straightened out and we begin to try to live for Jesus, the devil comes along and says, no, 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 because I know where you've been. I know that you have been bad and you don't deserve any of this. And Jesus Christ steps in front and says, no, sirree, no, ma'am, my blood has been applied to this person and they are now a saint of God everything else doesn't matter God loves you you can lay down and sleep tonight because he cares for you your heavenly father loves you with a love that has no end he's taking care of you each and every moment thirdly because God understands you I don't know where you've been the past 30 minutes or so as I've been preaching and I'm not going to be much longer Maybe, maybe you've tuned in, maybe you've tuned out, but I need you to listen to this. God needs you to listen to this. You need for you to listen to this. God understands you. 
Psalm chapter 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. And are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. David, the psalmist here, is explaining that God has a perfect knowledge of all human beings because he's our creator. He knows us better than we even know ourselves. He knows me. He understands me. He gets me. And he still loves me and cares for me. I don't know. There, there are people sitting here today that are enormously self-confident. And I'm not so concerned about you. God bless you. I appreciate you. But most of us here, if we seem confident, it's because we're just putting on a good front. There are thoughts in our lives. There are things going on in our minds and we're saying, God, no one gets me. I don't get me. I don't think you get me. And life is difficult. And I'm here to tell you today, God gets you. You're not a mystery to God. You're not, you're not some unknown in God's understanding. He gets you because He created you. And, and one of my favorite parts in the Scripture, somewhere I think it's in Psalm, and I didn't put it in the notes, which I would have now. But He says, He remembers that He made us out of dust. He knows what we're made out of. And I'm here to tell you today, put your trust in Jesus. Put your hand in His hand. Because one of these days... When all of this life is over, when all is said and done, if you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, He's going to take you through that pearly gate in heaven. He's going to take you through the river of life and wash all of humanity off of you. And He's going to make a new creation out of you. And you're going to be free of all of the doubt and uncertainty. You're going to be free of all the failures. You're going to be free of all of the sin nature in your life. Then you will be completely as He has created you to be. I don't understand that. I'll be honest with you. I cannot even comprehend what that's going to be like. But I know it's true. And there's coming a day when Jesus is coming. And he's going to take you home if you'll just trust in him. He's going to take you home. And he's going to fix it all. He's going to fix it all. He is intimately aware of our thoughts and our inner motivations. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 gives us a good understanding of this. For the Word of God, the Word of God is Christ Jesus. Jesus is the Word. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Back in these days, I don't know if they knew what a surgeon's scalpel was. I'm, I'm guessing they didn't. I think, I think if they would have had today's language, they may have used the word sharper than a... Than a don't they do surgery with lasers now, you know? And they, they, they would have used today's, today's uh, uh, understanding. But back then, I guess a two-edged sword was about the sharpest thing going. 
And he said, the word of God is sharper. Jesus Christ himself is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit. I'm a preacher. I try to study theology. And I try to act like I know what I'm talking about every now and then. And I'll be honest with you. I still don't think I know what the difference in the soul and the spirit is. Oh, I can tell you. I can give you a definition, but I, I, it, it just doesn't. I can understand I have a body, and I can understand there's something inside of me that's different from my body. There's a soul, there's a spirit. But you know what? God can divide right between them. I don't have to understand that. I don't have to comprehend everything that God can do. I just believe it, friend. It's in the Word of God, and I stand by it, and I believe it. And God is able, what this Scripture is getting to is that He gets me in the depths of my being so much so that even the inner workings and in between my soul and my spirit, God understands. I don't know if that helps you or not. But I'll go home tonight, and I'll lay down and go to sleep Because I know that God gets me and He still loves me anyways. And finally, number four, because God is working for your good. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. There's a lot of bad stuff happens in life. We've all been troubled with the tornadoes that have ripped through parts of the country north of us. People dying at Christmas time. I, I don't get death anytime. I, I, I still don't get tragedy. And a lot of times people say, well, if there is a God, how can there be so much bad stuff in the world? Because there's a devil and because there, people have free will. Because people make bad choices. And then for reasons I can't even begin to understand or explain, there's just bad stuff happens in the world. But I know that there is a God and I know that He is working on my behalf. And right now, in the moment, things can, can happen. Things do happen that are not good. Death happens. Tragedy strikes. People, people are mistreated. People mistreat others. Things go on that is not good and it is not godly. And God is not saying that everything is good. But what He is saying is that ultimately He is going to bring about the good for everyone. And that good is when we stand before God in heaven, when all things are said and done, He's going to say, now it is all good. For whatever reason, for whatever purpose, the things that He allows us to go through are working for the good, but it's not necessarily good. In itself. But he'll work all things together for good for those who are those who are called according to his purpose. And it's going to be for our ultimate joy and for his ultimate glory. I want to ask you to stand with me across this building this morning. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you've not been born again, if you've not surrendered your life to God, Surrender, giving it up. Acknowledge that there is a God and that you need to live for Him. Now is your day. Sunday before Christmas, what a beautiful time. And I'm going I'm to get on you here just a little bit if you need it. Because there are some people that 
thinks, well, I'm going to make it to heaven. Everything's okay. I'm going to make it to heaven. I believe in Jesus. I said that I did, and I'm going to make it to heaven. But that word believe, I want to make sure you understand that. It's the same word as faith. In the original language, it's the same word as faith. And what it means is that you put your entire faith in Jesus. And if you study it out, it means that you're going to live for Him. Not a Sunday morning Christian, not a, not a when it's convenient, but I give it up. I give everything up. I surrender my life to Jesus. Tomorrow morning on Monday when I go to work or I go to school or uh, go about taking care of my family, Everything that I am, everything that I am about is about Jesus. I seek Him first. I acknowledge Him first. I surrender to Him first. He, is, he has preeminence in my life because He is my God, my Savior. I have surrendered to Him. The Bible uses the imagery of slavery. When a person in this world is a slave to another, they don't get to wake up tomorrow morning and say, well, I think I'll take off and, and go over to Jacksonville or, or go up to Birmingham or, or maybe get on a plane and, and fly out to California. We don't get to, when you're a slave, you don't have those opportunities because you have to wake up and say, what does my master want from me today? When we believe in Jesus, we surrender our lives to him. And we become a slave to him. And no, no longer are we saying, what do I want to do? What, what, what's good for me? What we're doing is we're saying, God, I'm yours. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to talk to? And so I want to ask you today, would you surrender to him with all of your life? With all of your soul? In all of this preaching today about sleeping in heavenly peace, there is no other way to have peace except to surrender to Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you today, would you bow your head, close your eyes for just a moment. If you'd like to receive Jesus into your life, I just want to ask you, to. I'm going to say a prayer. You can pray something like this. There's nothing magic about the words, but it's just a matter of surrender. And pray something like this. Dear God, I surrender to you. I believe in you. I believe in your son, Jesus that he died for my sins and rose again from the grave. And I surrender all of my life to you, and it is my intention to serve you with everything that I have within me. Lord, help me. Save me. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've prayed a prayer like that, if you really mean it, stick around after church and talk to us. I thank God that we are able to accept Jesus as our Savior. Now I just want to close the service this morning by singing that song once again, Silent Night, just the first verse. And, and just contemplate on that, that God sent His Son into this dark world so that we could accept Jesus as our Savior. Silent night, holy night, all is calm. All is bright round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant so tender and mild, sleep in heaven.
I hope and pray that you have a Merry Christmas. We like to close our service with a blessing each Sunday. And when someone's going to give me something, I think it's good that I put out my hand so they can put it in my hand. And that's what I'm doing by faith. I'm asking God and receiving this blessing. So we leave you with this blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. God bless you. I love you. See you soon.